community of faith, how are we doing this morning? And those of you at home, I think I heard you. I want to do something a little different to start out today. I don't know what kind of week you've had, but this has been quite the week for me and a little tired today. So I want you just to close your eyes with me. The Bible says that David did this seven times a day. And it might be good to set our, you know, smartphones and have them go off a few times a day at least and do this. First, I want you just to thank the Lord for something that he's done for you. Something that he's done for you in just the last couple of days, maybe. So many things to thank him for. We do this every Wednesday night at our prayer time to start off. And then I want you to praise him for something. That just means, God, this is what I really like about you. And pick one of his attributes, his mercy or his love, his faithfulness. Or maybe pick several. Just tell him, I really love this about you. That's called praise. And then we're going to do a thing I called spiritual breathing, okay? In fact, I want you to just take a big breath in and through your nose and let it out through your mouth. Do that a couple of times. Breathe all the way down into your stomach. Whew. And if you're a believer here, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And so when we breathe out spiritually, that's confessing our sin. And all you need to do to do that is say, Holy Spirit, you live inside of me. Bring to my mind anything that's blocking communication between God and me. Just bring it to my mind. Don't try to dredge up every sin you've done since childhood. Just let the Holy Spirit bring it to your mind. If nothing comes, great. Some of you would have to take the whole service, but we won't. Just take your time. And when you confess, that doesn't mean you crawl across broken glass or do some kind of crazy re repentance thing that what repenting is, what confessing is, it simply means to agree with God. So when the Holy Spirit brings that up, you say, I agree with you. That was sin. That was sin when I lost my temper with the kids in the backseat of the car on the way to church. And then if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. He's in you. He never leaves you. You can kind of push him down in the corner and take over. So to, to breathe in now, you just say, Holy Spirit, just fill me up completely. You take center control of my life. I want you to be in charge today. How you know he's in charge? The Bible says there's some fruits that come out, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, kindness, self-control. You'll start to feel those things happening, and it'll happen naturally. Holy Spirit, you're here in this place. Father, you've got this today, Jesus. You paid the price for us so that we could have that access to you. And I know you want to do life change today. So we invite you right here, right now, to do all that's in your heart to do. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you for the next few minutes about leaving the only legacy that will last. You see, culture comes to us and, and says, 
really, if you're going to leave a legacy that's going to last, it's kind of summed up in four words, bigger, better, faster, more. But as we start to get into that, life gets so complicated. I mean, it starts with our, our kids. A lot of times you, you, you've got kids and, you know, in Cyprus, if they're going to be competitive, you've got to start them in soccer like at 18 months, right? You know, and it's like, it, I mean, the ball is bigger than they are, but, you know, they're, you're running around to all these. And then T-ball, they can't lift the bat yet, but they've started T-ball, right? Like two and a half. And so we find ourselves, we're running around, you know, from practice to practice to cheer practice for the four-year-old. You know, we've got all these things going. And, um, and if you're really going to be successful with your kids, you got to get them a tutor, right? I mean, I was talking to a guy not long ago, and he said that... Um, his parents got him a tutor that every Saturday for half a day, he and his sister from the time they were in sixth grade studied for the SATs. Yep. <laughs> his sister made a perfect score on the ACT, the SAT. Um, she went to an Ivy League school. She changed her phone number. She never talks to the parents. <laughs> so not really, it didn't really work out quite like what they thought. But we, we do these kind of things with our kids. It's got to be Bigger, better, faster, more. We get caught up in it ourselves, don't we? And it's kind of this 24-7 kind of thing that kind of goes unnoticed because we just kind of get in that, that habit. But it's, it's, it actually prevents us from leaving the legacy that we truly want. Let me ask you a question. What would you answer if, if you said, what I want to be remembered for? What I want people to remember me for is blank. What would go in that blank for you? I want to be remembered for blank. And, and no churchy answers, because we're in church, you know. I want to be remembered as great saint of God. Well, maybe you do, but, you know, I, I want it to be real, okay? Remember the little boy that was in Sunday school, and the, teach, the teacher in Sunday school said, um, what's furry, has a, a big fluffy tail, uh, and, and climbs trees and eats nuts. And he said, sounds like a squirrel, but this is Sunday school, so I'm going to say Jesus, you know? And, and we do that, don't we? I see you in Kroger, and what do you say to me? Have a blessed day, Pastor. You always say that, all right? Now, you've never said that before in your life, right? But in fact, it doesn't, like the words coming out, you know, it doesn't quite fit with your lips sometimes. Have a blessed You haven't done it much, right? You know what? I would rather you do, if this is the real you, I, I would rather you go, Pastor, how the bleep you doing? Or something like that, okay? Because that's, that's more real. That's, that's who we are sometimes. But we get caught up in trying to do these churchy things. I want you to just be really honest. Just be honest with yourself, okay? The truth is that all of us in this room really have two lists. There's the list that we say, there's the intellectual list that we know that we want, but then there's the list that our schedule, our money, our time goes to. If we looked at the schedule, if we looked at, at, at where the money goes, if we looked at how we spend our time, so many times it's like a whole different list. Now, I'm pretty sure that probably no one in this room said, I want to be remembered for, I want to be 
an axe murderer or something like that, right? Probably safe with that one. That's not good. We don't want that, but we also maybe don't want to say, I want to be known for being a driven, overextended, harried parent who doesn't connect with my kids. Now, that's, that's not a good one either. I want to be known as a successful business person on my third marriage. Mm. I want to be known as someone who's way too busy to ever develop any deep friendships with anybody. No, but when we look at our schedules, that's what maybe some of them are saying. Let me ask you just even more specifically, if we were to get it down into just one word, the legacy you want to leave in one word, what would that word be? Now, the Bible gives us a word. In fact, it gives us a word and it says, if this one word isn't our legacy, whatever word that you came up with is, if it's not this word, it's a distant second or third or fourth or fifth from this word. And so I want us to look at this word and I want us to think about it just a little bit. And I want us to figure out how we can leave this as our legacy. One word. If you're a parent, my kids would say this describes my dad or my mom. Or if you're married, your husband or your wife would say, this describes my spouse. This is, this is the word. This is the word that describes my spouse. Or maybe it's the word that you would say, your closest friends say, this word epitomizes her or him perfectly. Well, what's the word? What is that word. Paul gives it to us, and he's writing to a church in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians, and it's a church in Corinth, and it's a kind of like a Houston kind of church, really. It, it, it's influential. It has really sharp people, but the church is pretty dysfunctional. It's got a lot going on. In fact, in the first few chapters, he says, you have all these divisions. In fact, some of you are suing one another right now, and, and he's talking to him, so you can see they're, they're kind of messed up. But then he gets all the way to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and he says this. It's pretty amazing, really. If I speak with the eloquence of men and angels, but have no love, I become no more than blaring brass or crashing cymbal. If I have the gift of foretelling the future and hold in my mind not only all human knowledge, but the very secrets of God. And if I have that absolute faith, which can move mountains, but have no love, I amount to nothing at all. If I dispose of all that I possess, yes, even if I give my own body to be burned, but have no love, I achieve precisely nothing. That's pretty intense, isn't it? I think we can kind of get a feel for it when we think about numbers. Let me just ask you a few questions. You probably might know the answer to this. What is one plus one? All right, three of you knew that already. What is one times one? But yeah, it's so interesting, right? What is um, a million times a thousand? A billion 
right? Same thing you have in your bank account right now, right? So it gets pretty, pretty big. You know what is above a billion? A trillion. You know what's above a trillion? Probably not. A quadrillion. Did you know that? You know what's above a quadrillion? A quintillion. A quintillion is a one followed by 18 zeros. And we don't have that in our account. That's for sure, right? One followed by 18 zeros. But so let me ask you this. If you had 25 quintillion times zero, what does it come out to be? Oh, wow, you're good at math. See, you didn't think you were. Or if you want to do it like my grandkids would do it, they would say, take the biggest number in the world times the biggest number in the world times zero. What's the answer? Still zero, isn't it? Because it doesn't matter what number you have on the left side. If you have zero on the other side, it's always going to be zero. And what God is saying in this passage, what Paul is saying through uh, God is saying through Paul is that life without love is zero. So the word that goes in the blank is love. He said, oh, I thought no churchy answers, pastor. You know, well, I want to talk about love a little bit because it might not be, you know, what you think it is. And it applies to all of us. A lot of us have gotten caught up in performing. You know, that's, that's, that's how we made it in our house with mom and dad. It was pretty much performance-based acceptance, and you've gotten really good at it, you know, and you can do it well. But what Paul just said, did you catch it? He said, all the performing in the world, the most talented person in the world performing, if they don't have love, it ends up being nothing. And then he goes on and he, and he looks at it and he says, in fact, even if you possess the best, the finest, the most amazing things you can imagine, without love, you amount to what? Nothing, right? And it's pretty strong. And I think we can see in this passage, he's talking about gifts. So it's whether it's the gift of faith or this great knowledge, or even in America, we get real caught up in our material things, don't we? What zip code do you live in? What car do you drive? You know, how, how good in sports are your kids or how smart are they? Or all these different things that we're always looking at and, you know, comparing ourselves on Instagram and Facebook and, but you can have all of that without love, you know, and we're, we just keep trying bigger, better, faster, more, bigger, better, faster, more. And, and culture has lied to us. And that's why families don't eat dinner together anymore. That's why husbands and wives see each other at maybe six o'clock in the morning before they head out and then maybe 10 o'clock at night with bleary eyes and try to hold a marriage together or why you can't remember your kids' names, you know? I mean, it's those kind of things that, that, that cause that. Lastly, the Bible says here that even sacrificially providing for those you, you love or providing even for the world's neediest people, if you don't have love, it all in God's eyes amounts to nothing. Now, I can hear you because I'm there too. You're saying, well, Mark, but it's not as if we want to live insanely paced lives. That's not what we're trying to do. 
mean, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who, who said, I've tried to slow down. I've tried to pull back, but it just always comes back and gets me. And I just keep getting, now I'm caught up in it again. And basically I live my life now in my luxury SUV going from practice to practice, to practice, to practice, to tutors, to whatever. Right. And that wasn't my intent. In fact, maybe all of us in this room have tried to pull back sometimes, you know, and, and, um, depending on your personality, that lasted maybe two months or you have my personality, maybe like two days, you know? Um, and you, you're, you're trying to do it, but every time you buy into the lie, bigger, better, faster, more, every time we lose out because God is telling us the truth. And a lot of us live those hurried overextended. You just feel like, oh, I just need to to breathe. Your value as a person, your significance, where does it come from? Does it come from performing? Does it come from getting that feedback from people? You see, we can get caught up in that. The Bible says, let me share with you a few secrets. A few secrets about how to to do this, to leave a legacy of love that's gonna make all the difference. Number one, the secret to leaving a legacy is to focus by doing less. Focus by doing less. No, that's not brain science or anything. You know, all of us can kind of see that. And we're we're trying to say, well, yeah, that's the point, Mark. I, I, I wanna do that. I wanna have deeper relationships. I wanna spend more time one-on-one with my kids. Did you know that a study showed that that they put a little recorder on kids? The average dad in America spent like 17 seconds a day with his kids because they could hear them interact. That's not very much, <laughs> you know? We wanna do it a little deeper. We wanna go a little more, we, but we're gonna have to focus. We're gonna have to do a little less and that's, that's pretty hard to do. Secret number two, can only do less when you purpose to love more. And that's kind of one of the big aha moments in this passage for me is that as we purpose to love more, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've tried a lot of times to tweak my schedule, to, to drop it down. And I'm a pretty intense person. You can ask anybody. I, and, and it just will, all of a sudden, it just keeps adding up, adding up. And before I know it, it's like I'm juggling 15 balls, you know, and one of them falls to the ground over there, and I go, oh, just let that sit for a minute. Oh, wait, that's the marriage ball. I can't let that one sit, you know? And it takes a lot of balls to be married. And it's like, you think that, you think that, uh, you know, I've got all of these things going, and I just drop in everything. If leaving a legacy was about intelligence, you guys would ace it. I mean, you're bright, but that's not, what it's about, right? Paul is saying your no isn't strong enough to keep stuff off your plate until you have a lot stronger yes. And you know what the big killer of all this is? Fear. I'm going to lose market share. I can't slow down. I will lose market share. I can't slow down. What if, what if, what if, my, my, what if my kids hate me because um, they're not as good in, in baseball as the other kids? And, 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 and what if it what if they grow up and they look back and they just shake? They're going to do that anyway, okay? So let me just tell you, 
Um, most kids are always, you know, especially for a while, you get really stupid for a while and then you get smart again, you know, with your kids. But it, it's so interesting. In fact, I always tell parents, I said, make sure that you save for college and then save a little more than that for your kids' therapy, okay? Because all of us, none of us are perfect and they're all gonna need something. So um, when we look at that, we, we fear. So we fear what people will think if I downsize or if I do something different. We're also afraid of being hurt again, aren't we? Listen to what C.S. Lewis said about love. He said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you wanna be sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, your heart will change. It will not be broken, but it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be safe from all dangers of love is hell. Pretty strong. But we've been hurt so much. How do we do this, God? I mean, how do we actually do this? Secret number three. You can't really love like that until you receive God's love. And listen to what John, he was called the apostle of love. When he was an old, old man, they would carry him in on a pallet. He couldn't walk anymore. He was so old. He's the only disciple that died a natural death. And uh, they would bring him in and they would lay him on a pallet. He would prop himself up on his, his elbows and he would look out across the church and he would say, little children, because when you were his age, everybody was a little children, okay? Little children, one thing, love one another. And that was his sermon, done, finished. Listen to what he says in 1 John. I'm just gonna read it to you out of the message because I just thought it was really powerful. It says this, this is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that started by us loving God, but that he loved us first and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. Oh, my dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love one another. No one has seen God ever, but if we love one another, God dwells deeply within us and his love becomes complete in us, perfect love. And this is how we know we're living steadily and deeply in him and he in us. He's given us life from his life, from his very own spirit. We've seen for ourselves and continue to state openly that the father sent his son as savior of the world. Everyone who confesses that Jesus is, the, is God's son participates continuously in an intimate relationship with God. We know it so well. We've embraced it heart and soul. This love that comes from God, God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us so that we're free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ's. There's no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear since fear is crippling. We, though, are going to love 
love and be loved. First, we were loved. Now, we love. Don't forget, he loved us first. And I want to encourage you with those words. It's from the Spirit in you, that little practice that we did. Just being filled with the Spirit, the very first fruit of the Spirit is love. It just comes out naturally when you're filled with the Spirit. That's, that's the power of being a believer. You don't have to willpower it up. He's already said, I'm working it out. I've put it in you. Now, I'm going to give you the willpower and the want to, and you just take the next small right step and do it. I, I just finished this week. One reason why it was so hectic, I just finished a nine-month intensive at Columbia University in New York City uh, in executive coaching. And I had never done anything at a university like that before. Most of the, there's 37 in my cohort. Most of them graduated from like Harvard and Yale and Princeton and all that. And then me, I was there. And, uh, um, but it was so interesting. I told them at the end, they said, what's one giant observation that you had? And I, my observation was, Yankees aren't so bad after all, you know? They didn't really know what to think about that one. But um, I was, uh, I was about a month ago, six weeks ago, I was about to have to drop out because there was just so much going on, so many things around here kind of going crazy. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to have to just, I've been doing it for seven months, seven and a half months, but I'm going to have to drop out. And one of the Columbia teachers, his name was John. I think he's a non-practicing Jew and lives up in that area. And he called me on the phone and he said, Mark, what the bleep are you doing? And I said, well, John, and I tried to explain. And he goes, no, uh-uh. He said, he said, that's, you are going to be a bleeping great coach. And he said, I, he said, this, this, this bleeping broken world needs you, you know? And he just went on bleeping and bleeping, okay? And, and finally he says, get off your bleep and bleep and let's do this together. I felt pretty encouraged, actually. I was like, I said, well, we can, you know, we can, and that's, I mean, do you need someone to tell you that? I won't say it quite like that, okay? But maybe we need someone to just say, hey, let's do this together. We can do this. And it so encouraged me, and I, I did, and I finished, and I was, so amazed, you know, after my written exam and my oral coaching exam and all that, but I needed that encouragement. It's weird that, you know, he gave me more encouragement than a lot of church folks do sometimes, and I think we want to be different than that. We're a different church than that. We want to be the church that gathers around each other. So what I'm saying is I can only keep to my no doing less when I'm saying yes to God and being loved by God more. Then the last secret is I must redefine success. Bill Broadhurst loved to run. He was running a 10K race in Omaha, and his great hero was Bill Rogers, who was a great runner. And Bill Rogers was expected to win the race, uh, this 10K, and, and he did. He Bill Rogers won it in about 30 minutes, okay? So that's a pretty fast 10K. Um, only thing with Bill Broadhurst, he had, a, he had a disability. When he was young, 
He had had an aneurysm and his whole left side was paralyzed. But he was just so excited to be in the race with his great hero, Bill Rogers. And so Bill Rogers finished the race 30 minutes. You know, time passes. And then they kind of clean up the race and cars are back on the road again. And there's Bill Broadhurst. He's still running. And a couple of kids on bicycles rode along beside him for a minute and said, are you still running that race? Because that was like two hours ago. Someone already won it, you know? And so why don't you just quit? And Bill Broadhurst said, I can't quit. I've got to get to the end of my race because my hero is there. And I want to see my hero. I've got to finish the race for my hero. And as he came close to the finish line, Bill Rogers and about 30 or 40 other people came out and they put a tape across the road. And they had banners and flags and they had Bill Broadhurst break through the tape. And you know what? Bill Rogers just looked at me and said, well done. Well done. That's what we want, isn't it? Isn't that the thing about life? Remember Jesus said, I'm going to look at you and I'm going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. But it's your race, your particular race that he has for you. And I, I, I want you to see that. See, success is running the race our hero has set out for us particularly. And it doesn't look like anyone else's. So it's time to quit looking around and stop whining and saying, why, why is my life so hard? And look at theirs. There's God. God's favor must be on them. No, God's favor is on you because he's training us. He's teaching us. This is boot camp. This isn't the real thing. C.S. Lewis called it the shadow lands. And when life is hard and you learn to be an overcomer, you're preparing for all that God has. He says, we're going to sit on the throne with him, rule and reign with him. I don't know what he's got for you. Maybe go out and create a new universe. We're not going to sit on a cloud and play a harp for billions of years. I don't know who made that one up. But he said that we're going to rule and reign with him forever. So how do you redefine success? Don't ask, how did I do? Mom, how did I do? Dad, how did I do? Corporate earnings, how did I do? Change that to, what am I becoming? Also, what do I have? What do I have? Look at what I have. No, change that to, what am I doing with it? What am I doing with what I have? You see, it changes it from performance to character from possessions to stewardship. And then how much do I give? How much do I give? That's not the question. Why do I give? From providing to motive. And, you know, we've heard this, these verses before. This is one of the great chapters of the Bible. But Paul didn't write this verse so that he, he didn't say, I'm going to try to sit down and think of a verse that could be used in every wedding for the rest of history, you know? That would be so cool. And you know what else? I, I, I wanna write a verse for people that decoupage because then they can decoupage the verse, you know? And it can look beautiful and they can put it on the wall right next to their decoupage footprints thing that they have up there, you know? No, that's not what he's, he didn't do it for that. He said, this is super practical. In the, the next part of 1 Corinthians 13, the next verses, 
he gives 15 descriptions of love. And every one of them points at some dysfunctional thing that the church is doing. He said, this is how you love. And it's all action. See, Paul doesn't want us to get mixed up and think love is a mushy feeling. It's not. It's actions that we do. He doesn't even talk about feelings. It's taking that next small right step into that. So your homework, if you want to really get into it, is look at 1 Corinthians 13 sometime today before you go to sleep tonight and look through those 15 descriptions of love. See if they define you. My dad said, you really want to know how you're doing it being filled with God's spirit. Just change the word love to your name. He said, just say, Mark is patient. Mark is kind. Mark, and how are you doing with that? How are you doing with that? Love is action. I'll just close with this because I, I read the story this week. Doug Nichols, he was, he went to be a missionary in India in 1966. And 1966, a little bit different than today where you can, you know, FaceTime back and do all of that. In fact, he was going to an area of India. They didn't speak English. They just spoke a local dialect. And he had been there about two months. He was learning the dialect, which was hard, and he was having trouble with it when he got tuberculosis. And so they put him in the local sanitarium, they called it, for tuberculosis. And it really wasn't a place you want to be. It was kind of a filthy place, and the nurses weren't very compassionate. And there were just all these beds that are out in the middle of the, the place, and, and everybody was coughing. They all had tuberculosis. They're all trying to get over it. And um, he said, it was just like, he, he said, I didn't speak the language, but I brought all these little tracts with me and books in their local dialect, all about Jesus. And I was so excited to try to share them. And he said, they wouldn't even take a single one. They didn't even want to talk to me. They just, they just would go like, no. And he said, I got so discouraged. And, and I thought, God, why do you even have me here? And what's going on with this? He said, in the middle of the night, about two o'clock, he would always wake up with this cough. It would just get him in the night and he'd wake up with this hacking cough with the tuberculosis. And, and he, he said he noticed when he woke up one particular night, this little old man in a bed across from him trying to get out of the bed. And he was kind of like rocking back and forth and moving and, and, and he couldn't seem to get out of the bed, but he, he just kept trying. He tried for quite a while and then he just laid back and, and cried. And the next morning, Doug said when he woke up, he, he knew why he'd been trying to get out of bed because he had soiled himself in the bed. And the nurses came in and they were so agitated one of them actually slapped the old man across the face. And the old man just got, was in a ball crying. Bill, uh, Doug said, Doug Nichols said, um, the next night he woke up at two again and he saw, he saw the old man trying again. And, and he said, he said, he didn't want to do it, but he, he, he knew that, you know, Love is action, and it's not just a feeling that we feel because he felt terrible himself. So he went over, and he tried to help the old man stand, and he realized that the old man was too weak to really even stand. So Doug Nichols reached down and picked him up in his arms. He said he was 
so light. He had been sick for so long. He said he really didn't weigh not anything. It wasn't hard to do. And he walked him in his arms to the bathroom. And he said the bathroom was just like an old dirty hole in the ground. And he held the man in his arms while he did his business. And then he took him in his arms and he walked him all the way back and he laid him down in his bed. And as he was starting to move away, the old man reached up and grabbed his shirt and pulled him down and kissed him on the cheek. And he said, what Doug said, I think it was thank you in the dialect. I hadn't even got to that yet, but I think it was thank you. Doug said the next morning when he woke up, there were people gathered all around his bed and he's looking around like, what is going on? And he said, they all started asking him for the, the things that he brought. They were interested in, in the books that he had and in the tracks that he had. And even the staff, as word spread about what he had done, the staff started talking to him the best they could and, and broken back and forth. But he gave them, he gave out every track. He gave out all his books. He said 20-something of those people in that sanitarium gave their life to his Jesus. And he said, here's the thing. He said, I didn't preach an eloquent sermon. I didn't, I, I couldn't even speak to him. He said, he said, all I did was help an old man go to the bathroom. And anyone can do that. But that's love. See, people want to know how much we love. I want you just to close your eyes for a minute. Maybe you haven't realized how much God loves you. See, God's not into performance. He'd be dead in the water if he was. You say, no, Mark, I've been fairly moral, not to God. No, you should, you should imagine this God who can see right through to the very core of you. But that's okay, because he still loves you. He says, I'm here. I paid the price on the cross for you to come into relationship with me. If you'll just step into that, you step into that and say, I want you to be the boss of my life, Jesus. We call him Lord, is what the Bible says. You be in charge now. I receive you. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died for my sins. I step into this. The love that God gives isn't anything like you felt before if you grew up in performance-based acceptance. And if you've been living like it is as a believer, you've, you've totally missed it. Those tapes that are playing in your head, that's not God if it's about performance. He just loves you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to gather people around you that say, come on, let's do this. We can do this together. And you leave this legacy. If you're a believer and you're caught up in the, the culture, so easy, isn't it? Get caught up, get so busy juggling all those balls and everything and missing out on what really matters. Because you want your kids on your deathbed as they gather around to say, Daddy, you sure loved us good. You want your wife or your husband to say, you have loved me well. You want the world around us Jesus said, they'll know that we're believers 
by our love. And I want this church to be the most loving church to this community. I want us to be real, to be honest. Even a little raw is fine with me because God's working and he's changing us even as we go through this life, but to love. And it's not hard. It's just taking that next right step. I'm not going to worry what people think anymore. I'm not going to worry about keeping up with the neighbors. I'm not going to worry about any of that. I'm just going to reach into what really matters. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to focus. I'm going to love more. And then you say, Holy Spirit, I can't do this. Oh, maybe I can do it for 10 minutes, but I can't do it. Would you do it through me? And then you stay filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, breathing, that spiritual breathing, that little practice that we just practiced. I guarantee you. I mean, that's what changed my life completely, being filled with the Spirit continually because those fruits, they, the, the, the fruits just came out. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. We need those. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're here. Sweet Jesus, thank you for the gift of your spirit that you placed inside of us so that we don't have to strive. We can relax. We can rest. Just like you said at the feast when you stood up and said, are you weary and tired and can't hold those burdens anymore? Come to me and I'll give you rest. That's what we want, God. Jesus, let us love like we've never loved before. Let us begin today as we study 1 Corinthians and we see what it is and we ask you, Holy Spirit, to live it out through us and then do it in a powerful, powerful way. And I thank you that the Christian life is as simple as that because we need it that simple. In Jesus' name, amen.